Regardless of how we find ourselves in the world of divorce, the one thing we have complete control over is how we behave from here on out. We have two choices. One is to remain stuck in the stories, the anger and pain. And the other is to take a breath, adjust our sail to the wind, and work harder than ever before to create a new story for our children, for ourselves, and for the world around us. It's your choice, your work, but I'll be in your corner. Welcome to In Your Corner Divorce Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. Today, I have the privilege of talking with Dr. Tara Egan. Dr. Tara is a Charlotte parenting coach, adolescent psychologist, the author of two books, Better Behavior for Ages 2 through 10, and Adolescence, a Parent's Guide. She has nearly 20 years of experience in this field and is dedicated to her clients and their families. She is a wife, an ex-wife, a mom, and a stepmom. She is a clinician, a colleague, an author, and a public speaker. And she's also, we were just talking about this, the host of an awesome podcast called One Day You'll Thank Me. And at the end, I'm going to talk about her free parenting webinar that you do not want to miss. Dr. Tara, welcome back. Thank you so much. And before we get started, I have to congratulate you on your new book. Thank you. I'm I so look. Yeah, I haven't read it yet. It's in. It's on its way from Amazon. I'm honored. If you love it, you have to tell everybody. And if you don't, don't I tell will. a word. Well, and I'm definitely going to leave a review because okay. as a professional a author, no, yes, yeah, as an author, as a podcast host, like it's so helpful to get feedback from our audience. It's yes. so encouraging. And when we write this book. And we put all this time and energy in it. And then you get that positive comment or somebody shares how it helped them. It's just so inspiring. It is. So. And it helps other people find it better because yeah. otherwise you just keep it to yourself. So thank you. You're so awesome. You're welcome. You're welcome. The reason why I needed, not wanted, it was actually a need, Dr. Tara to come back is to talk about a subject we are all struggling with, social media and digital parenting. And before I get you started, um, I wanted to tell you that sometimes I feel like we're going to look back at our generation the way that I look back at our parents' generation who was driving around drinking tab and smoking while we were in the car without car seats or seatbelts. I completely agree. I mean, I think that we're just starting to develop some car seats that are still the metal ones that your kid can smash their head on. Like we're just (laughs) getting started with some protective measures, but we're not quite there. And so I love that comment because that's literally my mission is to help support these families because all these parents are so, they're so well-intentioned. They love their kids so much. And the, the, the knowledge or like the, the technological process is so quick that we can get into a place of feeling really helpless very quickly because we're like, we're never going to keep up. Our kids are always motivated to learn more faster than us. You know, they know, like when I go about my tech technology day, I don't have to think about dodging parental controls. And so it's not in my, like, I don't have to have a, a, a suspicious or sneaky mindset, but kids do, Yes, you know, to, to try to meet their needs for the excitement and the socialization. And so it's just, it can make parents feel really stagnant and helpless. So I just want to be a resource for families to help with that feeling. Well, so for, before I even get started, I want everyone to know, so, you know, obviously this is a divorce podcast and you might be thinking, why are we talking about social media and digital? It's because 
especially as divorced families, not only do we have no clue what we're doing, but now we have two different households that are doing it differently. And I think for me, the best way to do this is to empower myself with knowledge from you and like-minded you know, people that are talking about this because we, we want to be empowered to do the right thing. So starting with that, the thing I heard you say um, about the suspicious mindset and parental controls, I don't even consider that my kids are sitting next to me on the couch and that they're thinking about that, but they are. Mm -hmm. So I want you to start with telling us, how did you get involved in this? Because you're a parenting coach. Were you hearing a lot of complaints? Like, how did you get involved in being an expert in this area? So I have two biological children and four stepchildren. And even though there's six kids all together, by the time I met my stepkids, a couple of them were already out of the house. So um, I don't want to really get credit for parenting six kids because that's not the case. But I also work exclusively with kids. I used to be a school psychologist and work in the school setting in which we see a lot of kids making poor choices with technology in school. And whether it's bullying or misusing technology and looking at like pornography in math class, <laughs> um, you know, just, just some, just, just the distractibility of it is really impactful for school. But a lot of times when parents call me and they use words like power struggles, always yelling, refusal behavior, disrespect, mm. um, doesn't have friends, preoccupied, like they will use a lot of words. They won't say my kid's obsessed with technology, at least not always. They'll talk about the symptoms mm. from being preoccupied or dependent on technology. And I learned over time that one of my first questions, you know, when I'm looking at that kind of whole child or the whole family dynamic is like, what is the role of technology in your home? Mm. And because I see kids who are often acting out, they can have elements of aggression, moodiness, poor socialization, feelings of anxiety and depression from isolation. Like it came back a lot of times to the technology issues. And it might not be the sole issue. I don't want to make it sound like if your kid has any of these troubles, that that's just where you should go to automatically. But it definitely is quite a question that needs to be asked. And we need to make sure that the policies and the routines in the home are accounting for the fact that this is such a huge draw for kids and they're not developmentally able to foster like an element of restraint, especially yes. kids who have other factors like ADHD, yes. anxiety, autism or Asperger's, like those are kids we're going to see a much higher propensity for dep dependency and they're going to need so more support, right? Yes. From their One of my boys, um, they're specialists because he's not diagnosed on the spectrum, but he definitely has spectrum mm -hmm. tendencies. He, the doctor told me um, he really wants us to limit his digital use because the more he gets in that world, the less he wants to be part of our world because in that world, he gets immediate response, immediate gratification. He can control the whole world. And he is, out of all my kids, the one who's the most unhappy when we make him go for a walk, when we separate him for, he does well when we give him very, which is what I want to talk to you about, very clear 
structured, this is the time it's going to be on, this is the time it's going to be off, when he knows ahead of time. But when you try to take it away in the middle, that's mm -hmm. not, so I'm guessing that's some of the power struggle. It, do you find yeah. that one of the solutions is to provide a clear expectation for everybody? Absolutely. I mean, if you think about anything that we do in our world, you know, the obligations we have, like we're more willing to go to the dentist when we know it's coming. Yes. Not when like randomly we're magically transported to the dentist office right. and we're supposed to be experiencing discomfort. So having kids understand and have consistent rules yes. is going to be key because also too is one of the things that causes so much conflict between kids and adults is when adults are very arbitrary. Because a lot of times when we make some sort of new rule or we, act, we react in a certain way, it's done impulsively because yes. we're having an emotional response. Yes. So we walk in from work, we're carrying three bags of groceries, our son's sitting on the couch with his face into, in the screen, and we think, oh, this is ridiculous. He's probably been on that screen all afternoon. And then we're like snapping at him, get up and help me. I'm carrying in these groceries, you know, and all this stuff. And like, to them, they just feel like, why, why is mom coming in and being so mean? Like, mm -hmm. I'm just sitting here doing right. my thing. They have no and, idea what happened in our whole day. They've been in their day. Right. And, and we're making a snap judgment that's based on our emotion at seeing them once again with their face and their screen. Or parents will prompt and prompt and prompt and prompt. Their kid won't do it. They don't set the boundary. Then all of a sudden they get fed up and they're ripping the control out of the kid's hand. They're unplugging it in the middle of a game, which feel, I mean, everybody feels so um, like betrayed or whatever if something was jerked out of our hands. Like they're people. And even though as parents we're well-meaning and we want them to interact with the real world, like everybody's going to be offended by that. If you and I are sitting there reading a book or typing on our laptop and somebody just came up and took our laptop and went and put it in the trunk of their car, like we would be enraged. Yet a lot of parents are doing that kind of arbitrary behavior with their kids. And then it's impairing their personal relationship, yes. their ability to collaborate and problem solve. It gets super so reactive. I'm writing down a list of don'ts. So don't make them end in the middle just because we're in a bad mood or they're not listening. We'll have consistent yeah. rules and policies that are not arbitrary and based on emotion. Mm -hmm. And give then them, give, them some advance, give them some advance warning okay. so that they understand that their technology time is ending. So ideally- okay. Like, I'm going to tell you like a magical world here is you would have some limitations on your kids tech time. So you might say, okay, on a school day, you know, you get it for an hour and they know that it's an hour. You're very consistent with it. During that hour, you don't bug them. Yeah. That's their time. You treat it, you treat it like an extracurricular activity. You would not go to the middle of baseball practice and ask them to pick <laughs> up their shoes from the right. back of the car. You would leave them alone. Yeah. So you wish them have fun with their game. They do it for the whole hour. You know, they come down, you ask them about it. Like, how did it go? Did you, did you win your matches? And it's done with grace and enthusiasm. And then they feel like their hobby or their interest is respected. They know when the beginning is and when the end is. And they might have some decision-making over when that time is used. So for me, I'll say to my son, like, when do you think you're going to have your tech time today? And he'll say, well, when are you going to be working? And I'll say, well, I have a clients between this time and this time. And he says, okay, well, I'll do it at this time. 
or I'll say, I'm flexible with any time that you do it, but I want you to be done by 7.30 because we're going to have a Zoom call with your uncle and your cousin. And we just set some boundaries, we collaborate, and then I'm really respectful of the time. But if you have your kids on technology time for four hours, five hours, six hours, there's no way you're going to be able to honor that time. They're going to have to eat. They're going to have to get ready to go somewhere. They're going to have to have conversations and make eye contact and be a responsive person to the family life. But now you've already set them up to be super annoyed because you've disrupted them. Yes. But how are you going to honor six hours? Like that would be you basically saying you just don't have to be part of our family today. Right. So let me talk to you about this. But besides the consistent rules, along with that, when there's conflict and emotions, talk to me about what your experience is about removing digital as a punishment. So obviously the definition of punishment is you're removing something positive or you're adding something negative. Okay. Okay. So in situations of technology, you're saying because you, whatever it was, misused technology, was disrespectful, got terrible grades, you are going to have something positive removed. Video games feel positive, we're taking it away. That's the reality. It is a punishment. And it is important for kids to understand that sometimes that is a logical consequence. If you misuse technology by sneaking it or using bullying language, you know, getting so out of control that you're smashing the controller onto the coffee table, like that can be a very appropriate response is to say you're misusing this, so you need to take a break. So only when they're misusing the technology, not if they yell at their brother and call them a mean name. Well, it depends because the most effective consequence for kids is the one that works. <laughs> right. So for say some that again, kids, say that <laughs> yeah, that the, the most? most effective consequence for kids is the one that works. Just like okay. they say the best exercise to do is the one you'll do. Uh-huh. You know, like, sure, not everybody's going to be a runner, you right. know? And so it's the same thing. It's like, you do have to use a consequence that is your child's like currency. So sometimes, especially for example, if we see kids with a high rate of disrespect, sometimes that disrespect is stemming from their poor frustration tolerance from using too much technology. So it makes sense to say, listen, buddy, you've been super grouchy. I'm feeling like I'm having a hard time having positive conversation with you. I know you're playing some video games that are really aggressive. Like we're going to have to reevaluate and take another look at whether or not this is a factor. And the reality is when you're using this type of tone with me, this is going to be where I'm going to go to first. This is what we're going to adjust first. My sons will tell me when they're separated from it and we're like out away from it, talking about their behavior or, or acknowledging like, Hey, you've been kind of cranky. Like, do you think it's cause you're doing too much digital? They're honest about it. They're like, yeah, it probably is. A question I have for you is, do you define digital as just games that they're doing? Or do you also consider when they're watching YouTube? I consider YouTube absolutely digital. So if they wanted to watch YouTube for their hour of tech time, that's it. But they, you don't, do you let your son? Mm, that's watch? a good question. You know what okay. I'm saying? So like what happens with me is I give them one hour um, during the school day 
after they've done their homework or chores that they can do anything they want on digital. Then it's over and they're like, I want to watch a show. And I'm like, great. We have a 60 inch TV right here. That's not being used. We can all sit together as a family. Like we did back in the day, you'd fight over the control. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, I want to watch on my phone. YouTube. Is that also digital or are they in their own personal world again? I, okay. So I think, and I, I'm going to give you from my personal experience with my own kids is for my son, you know, he would consider video game time his tech time. So his phone, he has access to YouTube, but it's really limited. It's probably maybe 30 minutes. And so- You mean from your screen time, you're limiting it. Yes, I'm limiting it. So his cell phone has the YouTube app on it, but the time is very restricted because with YouTube, you know, there's some things they look up for just pure information and there's some things they look at for pure entertainment, but YouTube has a lot of inappropriate content on it. And it has that, um, side effect or, you know, the consequence of them just scrolling, 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 and it's very hard for them to stop. And I say that also from personal experience when I'm like, Oh, I'm going to look up this funny, you know, thing from this comedian I like, and seven videos later, and I'm they like, show you another one and then show you. Another yeah. And one. I'm like, I have an adult brain and this is hard <laughs> for me, you know, like how can kids do it? So what we don't want is t- to replace TV with YouTube. And, and let me tell you a little bit why, because yeah. first of all, YouTube does not have the, characters that are have any kind of emotional depth okay so there's a lot of television especially when we watch it with our kids that can introduce conversations that can introduce a nuanced topic that they wouldn't necessarily be exposed to there's a lot of feelings there's a there's a delay of gratification as the arc of the story happens you might have to wait to the next episode like there's benefits to it Whereas YouTube is just, it's just candy. It's just it really is. They literally watch other boys play Minecraft. Yeah. Or open gifts or pop a pimple or put on eyeshadow. And that's, and and you know what? I I, I like candy, but I'm not going to, you got to have a piece or two and then you have to be done. And so I think that kids who, and I think TikTok has the same situation too. There's a lot of, you know, inappropriate material, you know, kids curate the content and it's often sort of like bringing out their worst side, like their most basic. For each other. Yeah. Superficial, you know, it's just, like I said, it's just candy. And they, they lose tolerance for longer TV shows and movies. Yes. So we'll see kids like parents are like, oh, let's do our Friday night movie night. And they like, can't even handle it. For two hours, they go, how long is this movie? Yeah, and like it's and we're two like, hours. It's called this. a movie, right? Yeah, and and parents are picking movies that they believe their kids are going right. to like. It's not like we're making watch a documentary on you know Bill Clinton or something. I mean, this is so helpful. My kids are going to hate you so much, and I yeah, love they would be a so yeah. It's, YouTube that's is candy. So with this being said, I am the god of screen time because the phones are connected to my account. Me too. As a parenting coach and a psychologist, how would you guide me and other listeners to when they're at their dad's house, tech time? So do we need to both agree, me and my husband, about what they're going to be doing? Or if the dad says, no, I don't want the restrictions when they're at my house, do we let that go? 
So it really depends. So if they're at their dad's house two weekends a month, right, and it's a source of contention between the two of you, that's probably not the battle to fight. Right. If they're fit 50% or more and their kid has no um, parent control. So for example, I've had clients where at dad's house, there's not even like porn is restricted. And I'm not saying porn with a 17 year old kid. I'm talking porn with an eight or nine year old. Well, I restrict and, everything. I have the restriction. Right, but what if, what if your partner didn't? What if your partner or your co-parent, when the kids went over to his house, he took the parental controls he off can't. the phone. But sometimes in oh. divorce agreements, okay. it's not. We are like, on I, the same page with that. Like we don't want our children. So that's like, ideal. What we're not right. on the same page with is how much time. And mm -hmm. I kind of, the way I guide my, my clients is like what happens at dad's house is dad's house unless someone's going to be harmed. Like I don't want, I can talk to my co-parent about it and educate him about what you're talking about, but it, ultimately he doesn't want me to micromanage his time with them. And here's the reality. There are times when it's gorgeous out and I call my kids, Hey, what are you doing today? And I can see that they've been on their phone for a ridiculous amount of time. And they're like, nothing. And I can encourage, you know, you should go out and play, but they're not going to choose to go yeah. outside and play versus candy. Well, and you're right. And some of that you have to really investigate on whether or not you actually have control over it. I mean, if you really, truly don't, you know, where there's nothing you, there's nothing you can do legally. There's nothing you can do interpersonally with your relationship with your ex. Like there's just a point when you need to recognize that is outside of your control and be at peace and do your best to teach your kids on how to have healthy balance. And so, I mean, there's times that I've had parents where they, for example, their kid was on YouTube for 12 hours while they were at their dad's every day. So then when they come home, I'm like, all right, just understand, like there's gonna, gonna be, be a day rough. or two yeah. of like, and I explain to kids, like, this is grief. This is like, you are mourning something that you feel entitled to. You're going to miss it. It's going to feel painful. And so during that, those first couple days of transition, you know, I want mom to be compassionate. Like, honey, I know you're having a hard time entertaining yourself. Like yes. let's, you know, do the special activity or um, like just really acknowledge where they're at emotionally versus being dismissive or like, well, if your dad didn't give you so much time, this wouldn't right. be so do you know what I love what you just talked about is, and this is, you know, I'm five years post, so I'm in a different place, but for any listeners that are newer into their divorce and single parenting, I was so afraid about putting the real boundaries that they needed and giving them what they needed, even though it wasn't going to be popular, that they were only going to want to be at dad's house. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned just like with everything else is no, I'm parenting. Like this is a good thing. And if they don't love it, I'm also okay with that because I don't feel bad when I take them for a hike and they complain the whole time. Like I laugh, like just like when they complain about chores, I'll, that's my responsibility. Yeah. Right. So can I tell you yeah, a little tip or something to, to be mindful of as a parent? Yes. So if you have a co-parent that is not focused on, you know, best practices based on research or isn't a huge collaborator, you know, they, they really feel comfortable just creating their own vibe in their home and, and doing that. What that means from my perspective is that the co-parent has to be pretty structured when it comes to visitation time. So if you have a, a, a flexible relationship with your ex and the kids are kind of going back and forth at their discretion, 
then what's going to happen is they are going to just gravitate back to that other parents and they're going to feel entitled to do so. Right. But if you're, if you're like, hey, mom and dad have different rules and you really make sure you follow the custody agreement so they don't look at it as an option to just bow out of your right. house every time there's a rule they don't like, then that actually can work pretty well. Yes. But it's when you have both things where you have one co-parent who is very loose with rules and policy and you have a really fluid where kids are deciding the custody time that is a recipe for kids to just gravitate to the house that, that has fewer rules. Well, you know, what's so cool about that. And it goes with, you know, the North star divorce that I work with my clients about is because I work so hard on keeping this environment with my co-parent and I and our family in, with a really good dialogue for the majority of the time, I know that person because I used to be married to him and I know that what works best for him is not for me to tell him what to do. What works best for him is to give him stats and logic and mm -hmm. explain best practices based on research and empower him because the reason why he doesn't give them the same structure I do isn't because he believes that they should be having digital time. It's because he doesn't know what to do. Like he doesn't, just like the majority of us, he doesn't know how to deal with them when they're like, no, I don't want to do anything. He doesn't understand that. And so what I know, because we are working on having a really great relationship is I can empower him with information that he can do what he wants with it. But that's one of the cool things about being a co-parent with someone that you're working hard on getting along with is you don't tell them what to do. You, you help them understand why, and then mm -hmm. you have to let it go because you can't, we, we do have a very clear structured time. So I don't feel afraid about that. Yeah. Um, my question to you that is kind of like my biggest one on here is what are your thoughts about a digital free day on a regular basis or digital free? Like right now on the weekends, I usually say you can do it as much digital as you want until 12. And then you can, you know, like in the morning you know, for lunch, yeah. they don't, when they sleep and then we're not doing digital again until dinner time. Like after, you know, so I make them have a big chunk, but what are your thoughts about like an actual day of no digital? So a lot of it depends on if you're starting your, your technological journey with your kids or you're five years in. So if your kids are just starting to be interested in, in technology, you know, are showing a preference for an iPad or a cell phone, whatever you start with is going to be much easier to maintain. But if yeah, you've got in. a 13, years, 13 year old kid who's been doing it for six hours a day, and then all of a sudden you think you're going to take it away for the weekend, like once again, you have to recognize that they're gonna be in a space of grief and withdrawal. And so, and it's gonna feel very arbitrary to them because like, what we didn't do it for the last four years, but now all of a sudden you've got this arbitrary rule. So, I mean, some of it, the success of that is gonna depend on, you know, your willingness to be consistent even when they're miserable. Yes. And um, whether or not it's a, you know, for some kids it's a better choice to limit it by day and say, all right, well, let's keep it to, you know, two hours a day. Like how I'm doing like the big chunk in the middle. Mm -hmm. They don't yeah. complain about that because they know, and they also know that we live in a house with a very strong growth mindset. So mm -hmm. for them, they won't look at it as arbitrary because the way we talk about it. And I'll say to them, like, this is something that I want to try with us. Like, I want to see what it feels like to not have this as an option. And then what we're going to do. And then my son who never wants to do anything other than digital creates like a Lego gum machine. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when yeah. they know ahead of time, Hey, on this day, from this time to this time, we're going to not have digital. And I follow up too. They're okay with it. But like you said, I can't just 
spring it on them. Right. Right. And also too, is you're not restricting it from them for days at a time. Right. Where they, you know, kids on Snapchat, they lose their phone, they get punished, and then all their streaks go away. Like that's really heartbreaking for them. Mm. And so, um, or there's these tournaments uh, on Fortnite and suddenly they can't participate because moms decided Thursdays a day, we're just not doing it. And so I don't want there to be unnecessary conflict. It's really about finding the strategy in your home with your kids that fosters balance. So sometimes with kids, when we're when I'm working with a family and we're kind of brainstorming what things we want to try, I'll say, would you rather have your technology every day for this amount of time? Or would you rather have it not at all during the week, but then you have a longer amount of time on the weekends? And we have to factor in, you know, are you on a travel soccer team? Right. You know, because if that's going to be the case and you're going to be gone from morning to night, you're going to feel super cheated. Um, you know, what are your grades like? Um, you know, how consistent can parents be? Like maybe during the work week, they, um, it's going to be harder to monitor. Like we have to look at different variables. And oftentimes when kids get to pick a choice, and even if we as parents think this might not be the best choice, but we're saying, so, all right, we're going to try this for two weeks. How are we going to know if this is successful? And what are we going to use to decide it's not? So successful for many families is there's not tons of arguing, you're not struggling to transition away. You're, you're still participating in other important family activities, whether it's dinner time or showering without a fuss or getting in the car for practice with your, um, your supplies on time, like whatever we, not bickering with your sister constantly. Like as a family, we have to decide how do we know when something's working? And they also have to recognize like they have some control here on whether or not this is going to work. And so then you say, if we get to the end of two weeks and we've had more than one or two days of it not going well, then that's going to, that's going to be a sign we need to try something else. And that might be a turn for, for me to decide what we're going to try next. So, and I also really encourage parents to get a third party in there, like someone like me who can talk about the science can talk about, to can get to know your kids well enough to know what are the nuances of your family life. But a lot of times in a, in a divorce situation, one parent can really have a great idea that's really well thought out, but just because it's coming out of that parent's mouth, it makes it really unappealing to the co-parent. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, it's frustrating, but what's the end goal here? The end goal is to have a healthy strategy. It's not to have one parent win and have their strategy dominate. So sometimes just having a couple sessions with a yes. professional can explain, okay, this is where your kid is developmentally at. This is what research says. This is best practices. This is what's worked for other families. This is what we can start out trying. And if it doesn't work, we can try something else. And having both parents feel heard, having some compromise, but still staying in best practices can be extremely helpful. And in the work I do, there's some families who, they might work with me for two or three sessions. We really get a new plan going and then they're out, then they move on. And it doesn't have to be a bigger deal than that. Do you know what I love about that and about hiring you as a one-on-one -on -one is you can tailor based on what that family is going through. So I'm, I'm gonna mention again at the end that you have starting on Mo Mondays, 12 p.m. Eastern time, there's gonna be a free parenting webinar series with brief discussion and Q&A 
um, and you can register. I'm going to include that link, but I'm sure you're going to be talking about some of these issues, but what's even more special is if you work one-on-one -on -one with you, you we can say to you, like, this is what's happening in our home. Mm -hmm. um, well, when you factor in kids who have some specialized needs um, or there's a unique relationship between the two parents, you know, maybe parents have certain other stressors or obligations we need to factor in. Like the one-on-one -on -one coaching can be, it's obviously more expensive than if you're just Googling a bunch of stuff online, but you really get to the heart of it. And oftentimes you can get the buy-in from the kids and the co-parent. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's just a resource out there. And yeah. I find that there's times when parents will go to a therapist who works with children and that therapist doesn't have the experience or education to really give a lot of guidance in this. And they'll mm. say things like, you're the parent, just take it away. Mm. And they're not accounting for things like grief or that child's frustration right. tolerance, where they're at developmentally. Or, you know, what the history is as far as what their level of dependency is. And so there's times I get frustrated when a client comes to me and they've had a really negative experience with a therapist who was super well-meaning, but either didn't have experience as a parent or they didn't have the training they needed as a professional. And so that's another thing that parents have to consider is like who they're going to, yes. to get guidance on this. I have a question before we move on to one of the most important topics, but my last question in relation to the YouTube and digital time is, so let's say we create a new amount of YouTube candy time. We create a separate amount of digital time. I'm talking about like during the week mostly. What about TV? What is your, does that count? Is it like what for you, if we did an hour of digital and a 30 minutes or an hour of YouTube, do you consider them watching TV or a show on their phone to be acceptable for healthy balance? I think that once they've had their tech time, close-up screens should be done. Awesome. Because close-up screens are really, truly a barrier between that child and family. Yes. So, and if you look at like, um, you know, some of the recommendations of professional organizations like pediatricians and things like that, you know, they talk about the number of minutes in a day but it really is important to be discerning about what they're looking at and that close-up. So when I give my recommendations, I'm like, all right, you know, you got a, a middle schooler and you might say, you know, an hour of, of TV or far away screens, right? So, and an hour of close-up and then another 30 minutes of like kind of a social media thing, for example, because Anytime somebody's using a close-up screen, they're not, this isn't a family dynamic. This isn't social in any way. It's inhibiting affection. Yes. It's inhibiting eye contact. They're in it's another world. Conversation. Yeah. So you have to make sure, you know, to have that balance. So having the TV on in your family room as you're milling around doing your family life or preparing dinner or something, like it rarely happens where you can't have a conversation with somebody or get someone's attention and not have them be completely grouchy about it. And then there's so much family bonding that can happen with TV. Like my family loves to watch America's Got Talent. Right. We're like super invested in all the acts. You know, they tell the background story. We talk about it later, you know, and so that's completely different. Right. Experience. And then you have interactions together. You experience it together. You talk about it. You laugh about it. You, now you have new inside jokes. So with yeah. that being said, is there a limit that is, do you recommend a limit on faraway TV? 
Well, I think you have to, and I hate to even say a limit because it really depends on the context of your day. If your kid's done a great job at school, they played outside for a while, they were helpful when it came to dinner or walking the dog, and, um, you know, and they did some technology time, and then they go, you know, and watch a two-hour movie, and they had this really balanced day where they've been cheerful and productive, I don't, I don't, we want to say, well, okay, you did your hour, watch the second half of your movie tomorrow, right? Because you're only allowed an hour. But if they've, you know, just been kind of lazy, and they've been a bit grouchy, and you asked them to help with something, and they were, you know, about it, and they were arguing with their sister and stuff like, that's probably a sign. You just described my house. (laughs) Right? It's so easy to do. So, I mean, I do think parents have to look at it in context and explain that to kids. Like my son will say, is it all right if I, you know, do this thing? And I, I tell him like, let's look at your day. Your day was so good. You folded the laundry, you walked the dog twice, you ate your dinner. Um, You know, I heard you saying encouraging things to your friend when you were on video gaming, like, yeah, go, go for it. Right. So you're showing balance and productivity as a kid. So before we get into porn, I want to talk about a little bit about COVID and how our kids are having such a hard time socializing because they don't get to be in the hallways. They don't get to have the bus interactions. They're, like, I have a 14-year-old. I have an eighth, a seventh, and a fifth grader. And those okay. middle schoolers are literally missing out on all social interaction. And I joked with my son, my oldest, and I said, I wish there was a dating app for you so you could like get to know people because when I was your age, we were having boy girl parties and dances and makeout mm-hmm. sessions and you know, all this stuff and he's missing it. So how it, but he's not allowed, the only social media he's on is Instagram. Um, cause I researched and Snapchat seemed like a, not a road yeah. I wanted to go down yeah. and so did TikTok. Um, and so my question to you is how do we foster socialization during COVID? Well, it's tough. Like it really is tough because there is actually pieces of our world that are just missing. They're just blank right now because we're not doing those things. So first of all, recognizing that there is some limitations, some true limitations. However, if you really encourage kids to have connections with others that aren't superficial, like Mm -hmm. Snapchat and, and even Instagram, like there's just a lot of like, let's hit the heart you know, icon to show a like, let's write, you go girl, as a comment. And like, this is not, this isn't high quality socialization. So to say, well, I have to give my kid all these apps because, you know, they're not going to socialize. Like they're barely socializing. If you look at streaks on Snapchat, I mean, they take a picture of the ceiling or they take a picture of their shoe and they send it out to 45 people. And I'm, just, I'm sorry, that's just not communication. Like, let's not pretend that that's socialization. And so, whereas if you really can encourage kids to use things like FaceTime, where they're seeing, they're making eye contact, they're showing their friends things, they're, they have facial expressions, they have to maintain their end of the conversation. And even if they're gaming, there's times where they'll be gaming and like my son will have like one or two of his favorite friends on FaceTime. So they're seeing yes, each other's yes. face. They're having a whole conversation. I'm wondering I hear if them. they have like a game that they can play together online. Like, um, not like this, you know, this, the other ones are doing, but like, you know, like they have like fibbage that you can do where you can answer questions. I wonder if you can do that with other teenagers. You know, I mean, I think there's some that 
do that. But a lot of the games, you know, and I don't profess to know all of them. Once again, it goes back to really basic. Who's your favorite baseball player? Right. You know, and stuff. So some of it is doing the type of communication that is as closely mirrored in real life. Like you and I right now, like we see each other, we have eye contact, we're talking about in-depth topics, we're nodding and smiling and saying kind things. Like us doing this for 45 minutes today is going to meet so many of our social emotional needs yes. versus oh, you so and I funny. sending 45 texts yes. or a bunch of silly gifts. So some of it is really helping your kids be discerning. Like they don't need to have socialization all day. Like we didn't when we were kids, right? Like sometimes right. we'd go the whole summer and mainly socialize with like our siblings and the, the couple neighbor kids. I mean, there's times where kids will express to their parents like that they need to have their friends in their back pocket every moment of the day. And if they don't, they are absolutely being denied um, basic a basic need. <laughs> but when you really look at the 99% of their communication is superficial. It's very basic. There's no emotional connection. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd rather say pick a friend that you like and get on, a, on the phone with them three times this week for 45 minutes and build Legos at the same time. Yeah. Or, Battleship. You know, or, yeah. Yeah. Or just even talk like with girls. I mean, they'll talk and they'll both sit there with their phone propped up and be putting on mascara in the mirror and talking about their hair. But they're like, also talking about their family or their pets or some annoying thing that happened or this TV show that they love this character on. And it's a more in-depth conversation. So you have to, as parents, really educate your kids on high quality, maybe shorter amount of time. Yes. Communication versus constant access to peers, but it's super basic. I feel so excited, Dr. Tara, because I don't, I can't speak for everyone, but I know that we are all feeling so stressed and overwhelmed about how to do all of this. I feel empowered talking to you because I'm not afraid to give my children new guidelines because I know it's going to be healthy for them. And, and I'm uncomfortable with discomfort and change and grunting because I want to provide for them a smart balance. When mm -hmm. I've asked them, like, when you have children, would you allow this much? They're like, no, I would never do that. Like I would never, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I hate to transition so quickly, but we need to get to porn before we have to, we only have 10 minutes. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. So without giving away any names, um, one of my children was playing on some, one of his devices. And I said, can I see that? Cause I just heard something and I thought I was waiting to hear back from someone that we were waiting to hear from. And he immediately like freaked mm -hmm. out, didn't want me to see it. So I'm, you know, I was a teacher and I was a naughty kid. So I know, and I, my first thought is if he's being so protective over his phone, there's a reason. Long mm -hmm. story short, we found out that not only was he having really inappropriate conversations with people he doesn't know on like some digital app, um, he was again looking at really graphic, violent porn. Mm -hmm. And um, we've talked about it in my house. I'm very sexually open. I understand that my children are gonna be interested. I like looking at my dad's Playboy and National Geographic, like big long boobs in second grade. And um, what I tell them is that you should not feel ashamed to have the interests. It mm -hmm. is a normal feeling. However, the content that's available to your eyes as a 13 year old 
is not appropriate for your brain to process. And what he felt was he was like in a ball curled, take away my phone forever. I don't want to have this. Like he goes to that horrible shame place and, and it's not coming from me. It's, it's all, you know, like, and what we finally decided was I was going to remove on his phone all searching because even though I had all these restrictions, the searching, I'm, he was finding this on Google. Yeah. Google yeah. had women with men's parts and teenagers doing things that like, I literally have never seen, and I'm a pretty open person. Mm-hmm. And he was horrified. Um, and he's like, please just take it away from me. He basically was like, I can't control it. I don't know how to stop it. So my question to you is, what could I have done differently? And what do we need to do going forward to, oh, by the way, I bought um, two of the boys that are old enough, um, a five decade, uh, swimsuit model edition um with bathing suits that are covered to keep Mm -hmm. in their room they hide them from each other they don't know about it and i just put it on their pillow and i didn't talk about it because i want them to have a place to go but what's available is terrifying is so over the top and i think the you know you said well you know what can we do as parents and some of it is really openly being able to talk about and use the word pornography and talk about how unrealistic and yes. like non-mainstream it is. And talk about the need. One of the things that is a helpful thing for teenagers to know, especially teenagers who are old enough to actually be, be able to imagine having a sexual relationship. Like it's not just like a thing you see on TV, but like they have a certain girl or boy they're interested in. They, and they, you know, think those thoughts about this person in particular is if you get completely dependent on having really non-mainstream sexual stimulation. After a while, it can be hard for your body to be physically responsive. Oh, we talked about that. Yeah, regular people. And so, you know, especially boys, like there's, that would be, that's a horrifying idea to think that their body wouldn't respond in the way they want it to in a real life situation. So they have to understand, like there's a physiological response when your brain is inundated with images that are not realistic, that really aren't going to be replicated in real life anytime. Right. So, so it's important for them to understand, like, this isn't just about like, I'm your mom and I'm old and I just, this is not appropriate. Like there's long-term consequences as far as them getting overly dependent on it, having their body not respond the way they want, having them have an underlying disrespectful for women Yes. That's a big one in my house. So we talk a lot about that. And besides the fact that all those things you just said, I tell them that, you know, that typically the majority of porn is really disrespectful to women and uses them as objects. And I actually made them watch the entire, all the seasons of girls with me from HBO with Lena, because I said, you see this available to you as men of these perfect images. And I'd like to look at something from a woman's point of view, because I want, you know, we talk a lot about sex in my house and it's open, but what I want them to understand, like you said, besides the fact that you can get dependent and it can physically affect your bodies is that this is not realistic. Like you're going to be really disappointed in the real world if this is what you think it is. Right. And so much of the focus in pornography is the male pleasure 
and not yes. the female yes. and to have them understand like you have a, a role in here too to be mm. kind and giving and supportive of your partner which in a in a basic way is of course consent but then there's also just the fact that you want it to be a positive experience for them you know physically so having them understand that what's presented in those videos is um it's just not representative of a true relationship and most people you know it's totally fine to have a fling or explore your sexuality and all that but most people do want to have a true emotional connection at some point with a partner and so they need to do the things that will make them equipped to do that you know like you can't be a friend you can't have a good friend if you're not a good friend right. like you can't be a good partner if you're not equipped with the knowledge to do so if you haven't set the stage for success and for a 12 year old or a 13 year old who can barely imagine having a girlfriend or a boyfriend that's really abstract and those kids really do need support from parents to keep away from that content because they just don't understand it they just don't understand it right it's, you can do all of the explaining that we just did right now and that is still kind of abstract for them. So I had a situation where a, a friend of mine had a daughter who was about 11 and she looked a little older, not extremely old, but she looked a little older than 11. And she wanted to wear these really skimpy bathing suits. And the mom was kind of like, you know, what's your thought on this? This is what she wants to wear. On the one hand, I don't want to, you know, take away her decision to make, um, you know, her, her agency over her own body. And I said, the thing is, she's 11. She mm -hmm. doesn't understand like the social consequences as far as, mm. you know, what could you be inspiring? Not that it's her responsibility or fault, no. but the reality is that she's going to have a response potentially from men. And a 16 year old is going to be more equipped to handle that than an 11 year old. And so safety, not, like, yeah, safety, like, like, let's not put her in a situation that she's not equipped to handle uh, because all she wants to do is wear this really cute bathing suit. And that's all it's about for her. Right. But then she's going out into a world where all of these more mature thinkers are, you know, coming into contact with her. So it's not about body shaming or it's not about, right. um, you know, inhibiting this person's choices. It's really about recognizing where they're at developmentally. So if you have your son and he's basically like going to feel so relieved if you lock that down, that's him telling you like, I can't handle this. Yeah. I need your help. And so it's going to be more frequent phone checks. It's going to be, you know, taking advantage of programs like Bark or Covenant Eyes. Can we talk about that? Would Bark pick up that image on, on Google? Because how is he, if I already did on his, on his parenting screen time app, restricted, you know, adult sites yeah google he found everything on google like yeah videos on google of like full live sex right well some of it is also making sure your kids don't have 24-hour access to google anyway because when kids have restricted time right internet, they do tend to go to the things they really are interested in right you know, like, they, like my son wants to look up what the latest stats are for his favorite football team so if he doesn't have all the time in the world, he's going to go straight to that. But it's when they have all this extra time that they go down a rabbit hole. So some of it is just making sure they don't have tons of opportunity to go from thing to thing to thing to thing. And then some of it is there are some of these um, technology tools like, like our and Eyes and Our Pact and things. And 
it's hard for me to make a global statement because they change all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like these, these uh, um, algorithms will find ways to go around it or they'll upgrade the app and they can do something now that they couldn't do before. But also too, is your kid knowing that Bark is on their phone can sometimes help them make better decisions just because they think they understand they're being supervised. But can I tell you something? Because I know my kids are not going to listen to us, so they're not going to find out the secret. I know my kids are smarter than me digitally. I yeah, know that they, they understand more. Like when there's incognito mode, I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. I don't know what incognito is, but I know that they do. So, I mean, I feel like we could have four more sessions about this. Um, and I want to acknowledge that the time is about to end up, but I, I want everyone on here to understand that you have so much information to share and how lucky are we to have you. Um, I want to do two quick plugs for you because otherwise we'll never stop talking. One is your awesome podcast. Please tell us the name. One day you'll thank me. Tell and us why. Out, well, so... Well, it's, it's, I, it's a parenting podcast and I co-host it with my teenage daughter. So each week we talk about a different parenting issue and we either have solo episodes or guest experts. So we've talked about, you know, preventing porn addiction, preventing eating disorders, how to adjust to virtual learning, what to do about your kid lying, um, just a whole bunch of topics. I like to give a lot of variety. And so, um, and then, so that's a good way to learn more about who I am, the type of support I give families. But then, like you mentioned earlier in the episode, Carly, is I have that um, free parenting webinar series. Anybody can register for it. They can just go to my website, which is www.drtaraegan.com. Scroll down to the bottom, hit the link. You can register and you can watch it live with us and participate and ask questions, or you can hit record or you know get the recording sent to you later. And I really want it to be a way to have a more inter- intimate interaction with parents because podcasting, you know, is so one way. Yes. So this is a way that people can hop on, have a parenting expert at their disposal, ask a question. Everybody can benefit from your question. Yes. And then you come on the next week and you do some follow-up if that works I'm out. I'm so excited. I'm going to, just so listeners know, I'm going to include that in the link. I'm going to post it on all of my stuff so everyone can know about Dr. Tara. Our time is up. I could talk to you forever. I'm so, <laughs> so grateful for your time and all you do. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. For any listeners out there who want help with divorce coaching, please contact me at inyourcornercoach at gmail.com. Remember, we get to write this next chapter for our kids, for ourselves, and the world around us. Have a great day.